Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture this morning is from 1 Peter. I'll be reading from the first chapter, verses uh, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time in this you rejoice even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold, that, though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. By tradition, this Sunday, this Sunday after Easter, is called Low Sunday, and and nobody really knows why. Uh, One suggestion is that it's just a contrast Uh, to last Sunday, Easter Sunday, which is a high Sunday. Easter Sunday is the highest Sunday of the Christian year. The next Sunday might have been referred to as Low Sunday. Another idea is that that it came from the first word in the Latin mass, laudate, that just over time became slurred and blurred and became low, low, low Sunday. Laudate Sunday became low Sunday, maybe. But you ask Protestant ministers why it's low Sunday, and they'll tell you because it's spring break usually, and the attendance is so bad. Well, I can assure you that the sanctuary today is at an all-time low. But this year, 2020, there may be other reasons that we would refer to this as Low Sunday. Easter lilies have wilted. Graduations have been delayed. Vacations have been canceled. Proms suspended. I was supposed to be out of town this weekend performing a wedding at St. Simon's Island. That wedding, of course, has been moved to August. Maybe this year we have a different understanding of a low Sunday. Some of you might be referring to this as low Sunday 
because you checked your retirement account this morning. Several of my pastor friends who are in their mid-60s uh, had, the, had the landing gear down for retirement. Now they're going to have to circle a few more times before they sit down. Easter is behind us. We're still on the stay-at-home orders. The walls are closing in. Your attempts at Alexa, homeschool the children, have failed. Some of you have loved ones who are infected. It is a low Sunday for many. The first recipients of this letter were in a series of low Sundays. They were church leaders in Asia Minor, which is modern Turkey, and they were leaders of a persecuted church. This isn't the time period when the Christian community was trying to distinguish from its Jewish heritage. This is later when the church is established and Christians are being abused and marginalized by the pagan culture that surrounds them. Let's say something about pagan culture. That, that's a, pagan is not a, a phrase we use very often anymore. A literal translation of pagan is, is uh, rurals or uh, country folk or bumpkins, if that's even a word. In other words, paganism was not an established religion it was a derogatory term, a, a way to refer to those country folk who don't believe in God, who worship nothing beyond their own appetite and desire. Well, the name-calling went both ways. Those in the dominant culture had a derogatory name for those who gathered on Sunday, too. They called them Christians. <laughs> Yet, at first, that was meant to be insulting. They are little Christs, they would say. They're Christians. The pagan culture at the time of this letter was so busy chasing bigger bank accounts and faster chariots and bigger farms that they had no time for this Christian worship and silliness. Christian. Who in their right mind worships a man who says the last will be first? Forgive 70 times 7. You can't get ahead like that, losers. You want to get ahead, you earn gold, you invest, you build bigger barns, you put back a big fat inheritance for your heirs. Now, try to bridge the cultural gap here, stretch your imagination. Can you imagine that there were people who once roamed the earth who thought nothing was more permanent or important than their appetite and their account balance? Anyway, they just knew that the early Christians had things upside down. Christians cared more about giving than taking. They modeled sacrifice more than getting ahead. They wanted to care for others more than they wanted other people to care for them. It's an upside-down ethic. 
that made no sense to the larger culture. In, in fact, later in this letter, the author calls the Christian community resident aliens. <laughs> they, they live in the land, but their citizenship seems to be from somewhere else. That They worship a different king. They follow different rules. They are aliens to this place. So the author of this encouraging letter reminds them that their confidence is not in their bank account. The Christ follower has a different inheritance altogether. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The pagans were stuffing barns and hoarding land, but you, because of the resurrection, you have an inheritance that is permanent, unblemished. It will not ruin. It will never decline. He goes on to say, In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have to suffer various trials. So that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So you are suffering right now. But when gold is put into fire, it purifies it. I'm not making light of the suffering. It's real. But suffering comes with the package of being human. In chapter 4, the author says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as, as though something strange were happening to you. Hardship is not strange. It's part of the package. And while we should never pursue suffering as something that's good, it does refine us. Genuine character and faith are revealed when things get hard. Gold is purified by the fire, the author says. During this present hardship, the best and worst of our nature has been on display We've seen it played out during this pandemic in so many different ways. You remember seeing just recently that the Christian actor-producer Tyler Perry bought groceries for senior citizens who went in the early hour to Kroger in Atlanta because the hardship revealed his character. At the same time, when a couple of folks a few weeks ago bought up a whole lot of hand sanitizer hoping to jack up the price and make money by exploiting this health crisis. It reveals the character. The fire of suffering does burn away the pretense and our real values shine through, good or bad. 
You remember years ago when the hotel heiress Leona Hemsley cut her children out of her will and left her dog $12 million. Yeah, our character is on display uh, when things get tough. Speaking of inheritance, the author here is highlighting how fickle, how unsure it is to put all of our trust in markets and bequests and unemployment rates and inheritance. I learned this past week something about inherited wealth that surprised me. In 90% of cases, family wealth is squandered by the third generation. Perhaps the most famous example of this is the Vanderbilt family. Cornelius Vanderbilt had built his fortune on railroads and shipping in the mid-1800s. If you adjust his earnings, his wealth for inflation, he would be the second richest American ever. With adjustments, he would be worth over $200 billion, that's a B, billion dollars in today's money. But three generations later, in the 1970s, the Vanderbilt family had a family reunion. 120 members of the family attended, and there was not one millionaire in the group. No inheritance is permanent. Well, I take that back. There is an inheritance that is permanent. That's exactly the message in this section of 1 Peter. There is an inheritance that will last no matter what. Because of the resurrection which we celebrated this past week, our reward is eternal. It is permanent, promised, and sure. The writer says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. But if your ultimate hope is in the size of your Charles Schwab account, then these are dark days indeed. Hardship refines Suffering reduces things to core values. Primary concerns find their right place, their right size when a crisis hits. We've learned that food chains and, and medical supply chains matter more than NASCAR racing. Right now, our current stay-in-place mandate We've learned that it doesn't matter how big your house. What matters is the relationship you have with the people who are in that house. <laughs> it doesn't matter what designer tags are on the clothes in your closet if we don't ever get out of our gym shorts. It doesn't matter what standing you have in your company hierarchy if somebody you love is on a ventilator. It doesn't matter what your accounts look like if you've given no attention to the relationship in Christ that ensures 
an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Like fire refines gold, hardship refines our values. The larger culture in ancient Turkey was so consumed with buying and selling and producing and storing and harvesting and investing that they couldn't see how fleeting it all was. They got up early and worked late so that every appetite and desire could be satisfied. And it was like drinking salt water to satisfy the thirst. But the suffering of the Christian community was a reminder that investments in things that endure build an inheritance that will never fade. Like so many of you, Melissa and I have spent much of this stay-at-home time doing neglected projects. We've, uh, we've now got beautiful flowers on the back deck and at the front door. For the first time since I bought the grill six years ago, I have cleaned the grill. I've also cleaned out closets. I have thrown away clothes I have not worn in a long time. I have thrown away shoes that have big holes in the soles. Where have I been hoarding things of no permanence? Have I been investing enough in the things that do endure that do have value. We may have this inventory to take personally, but we might also have these questions to ask as a church as well. We may need to clean out some things in the coming weeks. Asking whether or not everything we do here is of lasting value. You see, the the result of sorrow, if, if we treat it right, might just refine us individually and as a church. Our scripture about suffering says, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory. I'm not sure there are many of us who have gotten yet to the praise and glory part of this scripture. But the promise is there. Low Sunday will turn to Laud Sunday, to, to praise Sunday, if we orient the way we treat this time of displacement. Catholic priest Richard Rohr says we shouldn't try to get rid of our own pain until we have learned what it has to teach. <laughs> In a more colorful image, Pastor Carlisle Marney told a friend of his who was in a time of great suffering, and, and I'm cleaning up Dr. Marney's language just a little bit. He said the most beautiful roses are grown in a pile of horse manure. I hope we don't try to get rid of our pain until we've learned what it has to teach us. But whether we learn from it or not, whether we move from low Sunday to praise Sunday or not, 
it still won't affect your inheritance. Whatever market fluctuation, whatever pain endured, whatever learned or not learned, you will still get your full inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That is the unfading good news. Go in the good news of the promise that your inheritance never goes away. That the God who loves you has set aside for you a full eternity of unfading inheritance. Go in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.